Welcome back to A View from the Couch. My name is Rich. And I'm Jen. And today we are going to watch David Fincher get the band back together in a movie called The Killer on Netflix, which is, I guess, based on a comic book or a graphic novel, I guess. Yeah, a I think it's a French graphic novel. Is it French? Okay. I think okay. I think that's what I read. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So I don't. I was not aware of this. I wasn't aware that it's a graphic novel. I was barely aware that this was coming out, and I like David Fincher. I just hadn't noticed, I guess, because maybe it's streaming, and I don't. I don't know. I don't pay as much attention to that as I do. No, other I think movies. I was the one that was like, "Oh, there's this movie coming out. Maybe we should add this." And you're like, "Netflix, really?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely am not. And I probably shouldn't poo-poo, you know, the streaming movies because there have been some good movies that have come out um, via streaming. But I think by and large, I am, I'll just admit it, I'm biased towards movies that are, you know, released in theaters, that are officially movies, blah, 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 whatever. But These are officially movies. I know, I know. But to me, you know, I'd like it to be released in theaters to be officially a movie. And I have a different stance because I'm getting more and more where I prefer watching movies at home. So I'm okay with streaming movies. Yeah. No, I mean, I get I get that. And I don't mind the, the whole concept of watching movies at home. But I think that, I don't know. Like I said, it's a bias and I do work through it. So, mm-hmm. um, but I just, I consider a movie to be, something that gets released in a cinema that is projected, that is attended by a large group of people or even a small group of people, whatever, rather than something Very that's... few movies we've been to lately have large groups of people in them. But you get my point, I right? I do get like, your point. That's, I, I guess, yeah. I, semantics I just feel like... aside, I think the idea of a movie is the something that is projected mm-hmm. in a theater. You don't go, You don't sit at home and watch it. That's TV to me, you know? I feel like... You might have to start adjusting your thought process there because I do feel like we will have more movie theaters close and I feel like more of these movies are going to go direct to streaming. Well, like I said, I it's a bias. I think it's going to happen. So, Like I said, it's a bias that I, I have to work on and I, mm-hmm. I am working on it. But to me, this is something that I overlook because... Yep. Right. I don't tend to think of this as like, ooh, this is the next big movie that's coming out. Yep. It's not. It's something that goes direct. It's like going to direct a video <laughs> to me. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. And I'm not saying there are no good movies that have gone direct to video. I'm saying that it's not, to me, a, a, a movie. It's not a, it's not a film. It's not a, a cinematic experience unless you go to the theater to see it. Mm-hmm. It's it it just it doesn't have the same effect sitting and watching it at home. Mm-hmm. Period. It never will. To me, a Netflix movie is just a TV show, a long form TV show. So. I hear what you're saying. I don't agree with what you're saying, but I do hear what you're saying. And I think for you, it's just you've got that film background. You've been watching movies pretty hardcore your whole life, so I understand where you're coming from. Well, the majority of our lives, movies were in theaters, period, mm-hmm. unless mm-hmm. they were from Hallmark, right? Right. Yeah. But so. for me, most of the movies I watched, I watched at home. I didn't experience them in movie theaters. Right. But they were at one point released in theaters. Right. But to me, I, I, I think I can get over that that movie has to be in a movie theater first mm-hmm. thought process, you know, just because I didn't yeah. go to the movies a lot. So it didn't bother me. I watched them at home anyways. Yeah. And realistically, my stance is no different than, oh, if a book doesn't come out in hardcover first, then it's not really a book, right? Like that, which doesn't make any sense. You know, it doesn't make any sense. And I and I fully accept and, and agree that it doesn't make any sense. Like I said, it's a bias. And a bias doesn't always have to have basis in like fact or reason or anything like that. Biases are generally emotional reactions mm-hmm. to things right. that you are not familiar with. And like I said, this is just something that I've got to work through. And I will. I'll, I'll work through it. I just, you know. Fair enough. I mean, Fair The enough. Irishman. The Irishman is a Netflix movie and I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Nebraska was a Netflix movie, and I've really enjoyed that. Yeah, they're out there. They're out there. <laughs> but yeah. So all right. I also didn't know really anything about the killer graphic novel either. I just happened to see a preview for this. I think when I was, I will sit on. There's a trailers app we have on the TV, and then YouTube. 
and I will sit and just watch tons of trailers trying to come up with movies that we can add to this. And I actually came across this in one of those. You, You will literally watch trailers that are stitched together by some yahoo at, at yahoo that that like just like oh i'm gonna get clicks by putting a bunch of trailers together and like I do. that's how they that's how they then that's how money. i found some of these movies i picked too <laughs> because they'll put stuff in there that i wouldn't know to search yeah. for or even to look for yeah. so so i did a quick search of the killers it is or the killer excuse me it is not a graphic novel it is a long-form comic series it lasted it looks like for the initial run uh, looks like there were 13 issues 10 issues excuse me and then there have been various short issues that are like like specials like one shot specials so there's five different volumes that collect the main the main story that ran from, or that started, I should say, in 1998, and is still going on. Apparently, there is a um, a subtitled "The Killer" called "Affairs of the State." That's a six-issue miniseries, um, and a couple of other one-shots that have come out as well. So, all right, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. So, yeah, that's something else that people need to that I that I think people need to make the distinction of a graphic novel is a singular long form comic book that was published at once and 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 set out there it's got x amount of pages and it was only published one time if you're looking at something that has multiple chapters that were released monthly in small magazine leaflet format that is a comic book the collected edition is called the trade paperback or a trade collection. You've corrected me on this several <laughs> times over the past however many years. Because and that's the truth. I will never remember that. And so just just telling you, I will never remember that. I think and so that- when I say graphic novel or comic book, they kind of all interrelate in my brain. Yeah. And that's, it's just, it is a form of book type entertainment <laughs> That has pictures and words and tells us a story with both pictures and words. I think that people, I think that not you, but some people think that comic books has a distasteful, like, origin. You know what I mean? Like, they don't want to, like, the one that I always go to is The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead TV show says, based upon the graphic novel by Robert Kirkman, which it's not a graphic novel, guys. It ran for 100 and 193 issues. Issues, individual, 24-page monthly comic books that ran from 2003 through when it ended, whenever the hell that was. That is not a graphic novel. That is a comic book. And the comic books were collected into six-issue arcs that are called trade paperbacks. You can try and you can try and put lipstick on it, but it, it's still a comic book. And I think that people are like, "Well, nobody's going to take it seriously if it's a comic book. We have to call it graphic novel. It sounds more important. It sounds more studious. It says the word novel in it, which is funny because it's the same thing with me and movies, right? Mm-hmm. Didn't go to the theater. It's not a movie. It's a TV movie, <laughs> right? This is the same thing. Yeah, it's the same thing. People got to get over their biases, and me included, mm-hmm. and the other the bias that I see other people throwing out there is they don't want to say comic book because it sounds like a child's thing. Oh. But I don't MCU, have that problem. I just throw the right, word out interchangeably. That's why I said not you. <laughs> yeah, that's why I said not you, right? But what I'm saying is there are people out there that think that, you know, comic books sounds distasteful because it's for kids. Comics are for kids. Comics aren't for kids. Not all of them. No, some of the comics are definitely not for kids. Mm-hmm. They should not be read by kids. Here's the thing. <laughs> Comics are for everyone, and you shouldn't let other people decide what age group you have to be to be able to enjoy something. Period. End of story. So, yeah. Anyway, my rant is over. Neither of us had seen this. We obviously didn't know anything about the comics. Why don't you tell us who's in it, and then we'll dive into the story and talk about it. All right. As you mentioned, this was directed by David Fincher. It was written by Andrew Kevin Walker, who these guys teamed up for seven, I believe. They did. That's what I'm saying. He got the band back together. We also have Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, who did. Trent Reznor did the music for, um, for several of 
David Fincher's movies. I'm pretty sure he did the music for Seven, if I'm not mistaken. I'll look that up while you continue. All right. This this comic book series that you were talking about was written by Alexis Noland and Luke Jacamon. So they took their material from those comic books. This stars Michael Fassbender as the killer. We don't have a name for this guy. He's no. just known as the killer. Nor does he need one, really. And I mean, that's that's fine, right? I mean, yep, yep. Actually, he has several names. We'll he talk about that later. He has several names, but not his. Tilda Swinton is the expert. Charles Parnell is the lawyer. Arliss Howard is the client, um, and. Carrie O'Malley is the only one that has a name, and hers is Dolores. <laughs> yeah, poor Dolores. <laughs> yeah, I feel kind bad of. for Dolores. I mean, I feel bad for her, but I don't feel bad Not for her. Really, she knew who she was she, working for. Yeah, she's you know? working for somebody that does hitman stuff. Yeah. So. She had to know that at some everybody seems to know that at some point it was all going to come back to them. Right. So why would Dolores think that she would be any different? Right. And just she because knew who she he was as soon as secretary? she saw his face. Yeah, just yeah. because she was the secretary, that doesn't. Yeah. That doesn't get you off the hook, Dolores. I mean, right? Seriously. Exactly. So, oh, by the way, I was wrong about Seven. It was uh, Howard Shore that did the music for that, but Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross have done many other um, David Fincher movies. They work together on a lot of things. I think going back as far as uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and that sort of thing. So, okay, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about this story here. All right. Let's do that. So the movie is separated into chapters. So chapter one is where are we? We are in Paris. Paris, France. And we're going to focus on the target. The target. So this is the guy that the killer was hired to kill. He spends an inordinate amount of time planning, monitoring, watching, paying attention to the little details, preparing himself, preparing his weapon. And when I say an inordinate amount of time, days go by for him. Mm-hmm. And he's sitting in this room it's across like five from, or six days. Yeah, isn't it? yep. Sitting in this room across from a hotel or a, a apartment building or something. It's never really specifically said what it is. Mm-hmm. It's got a doorman. That's what I know. And time wise, within the movie itself, we're sitting there for about a good seventeen minutes before he takes the shot. Yes, at it, this person. It is I a long first chapter. I was feeling this very long, drawn-out thing. I'm going to tip my hand right up front here. There was a lot of talking in this and yes. not a lot else going on. And I was engaged in some of it, and some of it just droned on, and I started <laughs> checking out. And it then I have to, okay, wait, wait, wait. Where am I at back in here again so yeah um i did catch you looking at your phone a couple times you were uh, shopping on amazon i was shopping on amazon yeah so it it was very long i could feel it i think it was done on purpose so we can see how methodical this dude Mm -hmm. is you know he's monitoring his heart rate all the time Mm -hmm. i mean he's sleeping in the freaking cold with a little space heater on and he's sleeping sitting up so this whole portion is really drawn out we get to see how methodical he is it you know he sleeps with this space heater he wears a watch to monitor his heart rate Mm -hmm. he sets an alarm so that way he doesn't sleep too long which i'm not really sure i understand that whole part of it you know he does meditation he does yoga Mm -hmm. he's monitoring what's going on across the street and this whole monologue going through his head on you know, his whole process and, you know, how he approaches this occupation and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure for some people, this is really great and love it. It was very boring for me. What I thought was interesting about it was that we are inside his head. Mm -hmm. That's what you're supposed to take is that we are literally inside his head. That's how I experienced this movie. Mm -hmm. And I think, and I think the thing that really kind of tips that kind of gives it away is that when he's listening to music and when we're in his perspective we're hearing the music as if it was in our ears when we are outside of his perspective we are hearing it as if it was in his ear and we're overhearing that music oh one thing i saw in my research yeah is if you listen to this movie with headphones on, mm-hmm. it will only play in one ear because he only has one earbud in. That's amazing. That's really cool. You know what? Good sound design. I, I like that. 
that's that's that is that is tip top i like that yeah and that's a that's that feels like a fincher type move he likes to make the audience like he likes to get the audience like absorbed into whatever world mm-hmm. he's in mm-hmm. like seven like you feel a little grimy after watching that right. movie you yep. know what i mean yep. and i think it's the it's the the camera work and the way that things are kind of set up and the sound design is a huge part of that and that was one of the things that i really noticed about this movie is the sound design for this movie even without headphones sounds really amazing like it just kind of sucked you in Mm -hmm. to me it was like listening to like one of those meditation tapes you know Mm -hmm. like close your eyes and just listen and let it talk and you're like Mm -hmm. whatever right that's how this played to me like i just felt very calm and secure watching this movie thinking okay well we're okay this is what we're doing okay Mm -hmm. so we're gonna do this and right yeah so it was it was i enjoyed the leisurely pace that this opening scene took. Because once we get out of here, it's going to be kind of like fast-paced. Sort of. Comparatively. <laughs> Comparatively. Yes. <laughs> it, it, it's, it is definitely going to be comparatively more fast-paced. But this first sequence, you know, another director would have, I think, would have tapped out a lot earlier and gotten right to the kill. Like a Michael Bay would not have spent the amount of time on the character introduction from this killer's perspective no. at all, not in any way, shape, or form. This is not a movie for someone who is a Michael Bay fan. This is not a movie for people like no. that at all. No. So, yeah. So he, like you said, he is talking about his mantra. He's talking about the rules, his routine, the boring nature of his job. He mentions that if you're bored, easily bored, this is not a job for you. Mm -hmm. Because he is, I mean, it literally takes him six days to figure out exactly the person's patterns. Right. And then know exactly when he can take the kill shot. Mm -hmm. And then when he finally does take the kill shot, he actually ends up hitting the sex worker that the target brought with him, brought home with him, instead of the target himself, which is the only time he's ever missed a target. Yep. So he runs, he packs up his stuff quickly, he takes off, he evades the police, and he leaves via airport. He heads to the United States. I kind of liked this fleeing scene. He's tossing shit everywhere, yeah. Yeah. like down a drain pipe, into a garbage can, mm-hmm. out into the lake, and everything's really quick and mm-hmm. obviously thought out because mm-hmm. um, he kind of knows where everything's at. So yeah. yep. that w- I thought that was interesting that he's that prepared that he's got his getaway Oh, he d- yeah, that's, I think that speaks to the nature of the character as mm-hmm. well as the necessity of of that type of planning for something like this, you know? Yeah, and it sounded like he didn't like to do his kills this way, really. He went more for, like, poisons and Mm -hmm. stuff like that, so. Yeah, yep. So we go, we move on to chapter two, where he goes. All right, chapter two is going to take place in the Dominican Republic at the hideout. The hideout. Now, this is the killer's hideout. This is his home. Right. So we see him get home. We find him, we see him finding his car at the airport and driving home. He finds there that his house has been broken into, though. Mm-hmm. And his girlfriend has been attacked. So he finds her at the hospital. He talks to her brother and he finds out that she was tortured but managed to escape two assassins that were that were attacking her. Mm-hmm. And she left in a taxi. She managed to get out in a taxi. Now, the taxi driver had driven the killers or the assassins to our main character's home. So the killer goes and tracks this guy down. Like, he goes to the taxi cab, like headquarters and finds the 
Cab's license book and mm-hmm. finds the name of the guy and finds his license, finds who he is. He goes and he gets a fare with him. Mm-hmm. And then he pulls a gun and he questions him. And he finds out that his girlfriend was attacked by two people, a man who was injured on his leg and a woman whose hair resembled a Q-tip, according to Leo. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the killer leaves the taxi, but not before shooting and killing Leo. Leo's got to die because Leo was involved. Leo brought the assassins to them. And even though Leo was the one that brought the girlfriend to the hospital. Uh, no, he brought the assassins to the hospital. Or he I brought the assassins back to the airport. I thought he brought the girlfriend to the. No. Mm-mm. How no, did because she get out? I, I thought, thought her she brother found her. I thought she got to the hospital via taxi. No. No? Mm-mm. Okay. I misunderstood that. There's some conversations that were kind of hard to hear. Yeah. And I think it, I think this was designed to listen to on headphones. Yeah, we probably could have heard it a lot better. Yeah. Because <laughs> there was a few spots you backed it up a little bit and played it again. Yeah, I turned the volume up or whatever, but yeah, yeah definitely. So, okay, so the killer then... Also, real quick, mm-hmm. this is where we start getting the inner monologue of him talking about keeping emotion out of it. Right, yeah. No emotion. Yeah. Don't think about it. Don't feel empathy. Empathy yeah. is weakness, he says. Yeah. I, I can not remember how he worded it exactly, but yeah, it was basically, doesn't matter if you feel bad for these people, mm-hmm. They're you, you just do your business. Yeah. I uh, Do your business. Take a poop? What? <laughs> Doo-doo's on these people? What are you, five? A whole <laughs> different, a whole different movie. I think the interesting thing about this mantra of no empathy, empathy is weakness, it's interesting considering where this movie ends and how this movie ends, mm-hmm. which we'll get to, but I wonder if it's meant to show some sort of personal growth. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Or does it mean that he's... I'll just say it, because by the end of this, the final kill isn't a kill. He doesn't kill the last person on the list of his revenge. And my question is, is that personal growth, or was he just satisfied that that was it? Was he just tired of it? Did he retire? So each of the chapters is supposed to represent one of his kills, and since you're jumping ahead, the last one is supposed to represent the metaphorical killing of the hitman's past. So it represents his the, the death of his past. So the past where he is the hitman. Mm-hmm. So he's retiring. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. That's what I thought. That's how I okay. took it. Mm-hmm. That's how I took it. Okay, interesting. All right. So there is a kill in it, but it's not right. kill of the person. Right. All right. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. So, well, back to the timeline here. The killer then in the next chapter travels to where? So chapter three takes place in New Orleans, and it is the lawyer. The lawyer. So he travels to the office of the lawyer, and he gets entry to the building by disguising himself as a recycling, like, guy he's there to like bring a recycling bin Mm -hmm. in and he manages to this is where we meet dolores Mm -hmm. we meet her he he restrains her he destroys the computers the two computers that the lawyer keeps their work on his work and the work of the lawyer on it the lawyer apparently coordinates a lot of these hits i guess right he's He's Got the go-between. side business of right. orchestrating hitmen. <laughs> this is his side hustle. Some people, you know, some people do podcasts. <laughs> Other people orchestrate, you know, uh, hits. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Now- See, Mom, I could be doing something much worse <laughs> than I'm doing now. So. Now, the killer- Yeah. Boy, he is not kind to the attorney. He, like, this- that has got to be a terrible way to die with it's nail vile, guns. Yeah, yeah. He shoots him. Chest, yeah, he shoots him in the chest with nail guns. Yeah, he three nails into the chest. He calculates. He talks about how he's a non-smoker. He's X amount of age. He's about this weight. It should take him this long to suffocate. And he's watching this dude just die. 
He gives him the opportunity to call 911 by dialing 911 and setting the phone down on the desk. If he can get to it, he can do it. But he's tied to his chair. The, the lawyer is tied to his chair, so he can't get to it. There really is no chance. It's just the possibility that he wants to tease him with, I think, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we need to point out that the reason that the killer's hit, killer's girlfriend was attacked is because they were going after him. They were going after the killer. Mm-hmm. This is a redundancy. If there is a, a fucked up hit, then the client can request insurance, quote unquote insurance, basically where it scrubs the trail mm-hmm. leading to the client. And that would that would start with the killer and work its way downstream. But we don't know this we until don't. he meets the client. So right. at this point he's still thinking the client hired these other hitmen through the attorney to go after him. Right. Which is why he murders the 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 lawyer mm-hmm. because he's thinking that the lawyer has turned on him when in fact it's just business. Mm-hmm. It's just the way the business is run. You'd think that a hitman, a killer, would know this. Would know. You would think so, yes. That if you fuck up, you pay for it. Apparently, he's never been hired to take out another hitman. Guess not. But also, he's never missed a shot. He's never missed a kill. Yeah. Um, I feel like he does show a little bit of empathy towards Dolores. How so? Because, he uses her to get what he needs, and then he disposes of her. Right, but she asks him, can you please do it in a way that my family gets my insurance money? Because mm. they need it. Okay. So he pushes her down the stairs and breaks her neck yeah. instead of just yeah. shooting her. That's true. That's a good point. Or, you know, so I feel like, while it's not a lot of empathy by letting her go, <laughs> he at least makes sure that her family's taken care of. It looks like an accident. Right. Right. Yeah. I, And I wonder if that's not the beginning of where he's made his decision that this is over for him. I mean, obviously, his whole path, this whole method of getting these missions is gone. He's torching the whole damn thing. But a guy with his abilities would be able to find another connection, mm-hmm. would be able to continue on with this. But with him breaking his rule of no empathy... I think it starts that. I think that's the start of this path where he's made his decision. He's done, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I find that I find that interesting. I find the the fact that I mean, obviously Dolores is no saint, but Dolores is not directly involved in this at all. Mm-hmm. Now, I have a question about the lawyer because he says that at one point he's narrating. He's he's giving us. Um, through voiceover, a little bit of his history, and he talks about this is where, when he gets to New Orleans, he said this is where you you know you studied law, and this is where the professor told you to stop studying law and start trying to find ways to circumvent it. Is the professor the lawyer? Maybe. Is this the guy that recruited him into it? I don't know. Maybe. That's the way I took it, and I kind of like that that perspective a little bit in that in that this makes this kill a whole lot more personal for him. Mm-hmm. This betrayal or this perceived betrayal a whole lot more personal for him too. I think it's still a betrayal no matter Absolutely. what happened. Here, Absolutely. But, yeah. but if it's someone that you trusted and someone that you, someone that brought you in and taught you, you know, the, I don't know, taught you the ropes, <laughs> whatever, you know. I feel like that would be a little bit more of a personal kick in the nuts rather than just a general kick in the nuts, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyway, just a thought there that I thought maybe would be pretty good. So he does, like you said, he takes Dolores to her house. She shows him the identities of the assassins in her, she's got a Rolodex, which guys, if you don't know what a Rolodex is, let me see if I can explain it properly. It's a it's a bunch of little cards that are in a plastic case that you can flip through, and they're on like little rails. They it's a paper sits on these rails, and you can pull them out. 
and you can write things on them, you know, like mm-hmm. a Rolodex. I still have one something. at the office. You do. You do. But there are people that are listening that might not know what a Rolodex is. Mm-hmm. And I just thought yeah. maybe maybe we should tell them what it is if they haven't oh, seen it. Oh, I'm sure younger people have no clue what it is. It's possible. I mean, not, it's not also... with everything in phones now. Most people don't have that. True. That, I mean, it's also possible, though, that they do know what it is. And I'm mm-hmm. just talking on my ass. But I figured I would just say it just in case. And so anyway, so she goes through this Rolodex and she gives him the information about the assassins and the client. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're headed next. We're headed for... All right. So chapter four, we are heading to Florida. And this is where we're going to have some action as he takes out the brute. The brute is one of the two assassins. He identifies him. The killer identifies him by the limp. He also has a dog, a pit bull, that the, that the killer subdues with like some meat that he's got some drugs in that mm-hmm. makes the dog go to sleep and he and there's a protracted fight between these two where this is the most action we get in the whole movie <laughs> where i'm i'm 100 percent sure though that the brute fell backwards onto the leg of a chair and like got the leg of a chair up his ass because they're like he is bleeding profusely from the crotchal region the general crotch area. That is very possible. My big complaint about this, it is so dark. It 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 is so dark. Mm. You cannot see what's happening. Now, I think if we were watching this at night with all the lights off, maybe it would have been a better shot at seeing what was going on. But I you were there was a couple times you were like, Oh, what just happened? And I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> all I'm hearing is stuff crashing around. I, I couldn't see what was happening at all. What I and I think I mentioned this to you while we were watching it. I think it adds to the 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 mystery of what is happening and how this is all going down. The fact that we can't necessarily see it now. I I will say that it probably would have looked better if we had watched it at night with all the lights out. I think this is a movie that again should have been seen in a theater. I think that if you're in a theater and you've got lights down to almost nothing and it's being projected big on a screen and it's got a <laughs> caveat and you've got a good projector and a good screen, (laughs) you would have been able to see a lot more detail in this. But he ends up taking out the assassin, and then he travels to, where does he go? Is it New York or Boston? All right, chapter five is going to take place in New York. New York, okay. With the expert. The expert. That's the other assassin. And that's, that looks that's, like a Q-tip. That looks like a Q-tip, and it's Tilda Swinton. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed I enjoyed this one a great deal, the conversation, if you want to call it that, that she has with him before it all goes down. She drinks a flight of whiskey. She asks for her bottle. Now, I don't know if she meant just her bottle, meaning the one that they opened to put the flight of whiskey together, or if she has a specific bottle. And to me, that signaled maybe she had something planned. Turns out... She didn't have anything planned. No. She should have had something planned. If you know, if you're an assassin and you know, because when he, when he sits down, she says something to the effect of, we all know that this day's coming for us. Right. This goes back to what you were saying before is, how did he not know yeah. that they were going to be going after him? Right. Right. Did that just never occur to him? Right. And then later never occurred to the others that, hey, he's going to probably seek revenge for hurting his girlfriend. Yeah, we didn't get this done properly. Although, the expert seems to expect this. Yeah. The brute does not, which I think, true to his name, the brute would not think about this. The brute would be like, nobody would have the balls to come after me. Mm -hmm. But, of course, the killer does have the balls to do that and does. Now, the expert, he, or she, excuse me, offers him whiskey and he doesn't take it until the very end after she finishes like prattling on about like how she's not going to beg for anything blah 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 or whatever and she's finished her whiskey he finally takes a sip of the whiskey and it comes from the bottle which again made me think oh she's up to something Mm -hmm. she's not up to something but she does lead him out into the wintry air of new york and she slips on icy steps and asks him for help, and that's when he kills her. The whole time I thought, yes, she's going to do something. Like when she asks for help, I'm like, oh, she's going to like try yeah. and do something to him. 
Yep. Doesn't matter. <laughs> he just shot her in the head. I wonder I wonder if that is by design. Like are we supposed to be in his head at this point? Because most of the most of the rest of the movie were in his head. We, this is very much entirely from his perspective. Mm-hmm. I think that we're supposed to. Uh, the, what I pulled from it is that's how suspicious he is. Mm-hmm. Right? He's not going to drink from her bottle, mm-hmm. which he eventually does. Again, though, maybe showing growth there. Like, oh, maybe I'm not trusting enough. I'll take a drink. I right? would not trust in another. I wouldn't. I wouldn't <laughs> I would either. I, would, <laughs> I wouldn't either. I'm not 100 percent sure why he does it, but then he allows himself to be like walked out of the restaurant, out into like I don't know what Central Park or whatever, but like looks like Central Park, out into the park, down some steps or partially down some steps. Like he's he, like you're supposed to feel that tension. You're supposed to feel like um, something's not quite right mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it, but it, and of course, it doesn't pay off. So, all right. So after he takes care of the expert, we go to chapter six, which is Chicago, and we're going to see the client, the, the person client. who hired all of this to be done. Right. Absolutely. This is where it starts and where it's going to end. The client is a venture capitalist named Claiborne, who lives in a fancy apartment in Chicago. He, and then at this point, we get to see the killer doing the same thing he was doing at the beginning. He watches this guy's routine. He finds a way into the dude's apartment. He buys like a tool that he finds on Amazon to clone the dude's key card to get into his house or get into his apartment. It's very reassuring that that stuff sold on Amazon, I, I guess. Don't. Do you think it's sold on Amazon? I don't know if it is. I feel like I you mean... could get just about anything on Amazon. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we should just go with the old deadbolt, huh? Anyway, he does eventually then confront Claiborne at home. Now, this is not, obviously, this is not as long or as drawn out as the opening surveillance, but it, you do get kind of callbacks to that surveillance along the way. But when he, when he does finally confront him, he asks him if he ordered the retaliatory hit out of personal grievance. And Claiborne says, no, 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 no. I don't have a problem with you. This is because I'm a first-time client. He agreed to pay the lawyer extra to tie up loose ends without knowing what that meant. It's like extended warranty. Right. He didn't know that when he paid that extra money that it was literally going to be, we're going to just go and kill this dude for you so that you don't have to worry about it. He had no idea. Mm -hmm. So... The killer decides that he's going to spare Claiborne. And but he does say if if, if he suspects that Claiborne has put another hit on him, he's going to come back and he's going to murder him in a really graphic, gruesome, gross mm-hmm. way, right? Now, I want to talk about that real quick because all he has to do is suspect at this point that Claiborne has put another hit on him Mm -hmm. and he's going to come back and murder him? What if like he just mistakes something that's going on around him for, oh, that son of a bitch, I'm going to go and murder him now. Claiborne's going to die, huh? Yeah, That's it. (laughs) Like this doesn't seem very reassuring to me if I'm Claiborne because what assurances do you have that he's not going to mistakenly just be like, he, he put a hit out on me. What assurances does he does he have? He has no assurances. He just needs to stay all. away from Hitman. I mean, maybe don't do it in the first place. Is he well, I mean, I don't disagree, <laughs> but is he going to trust that the killer is going to do his due diligence and make sure that he did this or is he, he just going to He has no choice. He doesn't. You're right. He doesn't have a choice. But this is a very unreassuring way to tell him you get to live. (laughs) He's going to spend the rest of his life looking over his shoulder, right? My issue with the end here is he keeps doing this no empathy thing through the whole thing, and all of a sudden he lets him live. I don't understand his sudden switch. I understand that there was a little bit of empathy for Dolores, but he still killed her in the end. Yeah. And he did have that conversation with the expert, but Mm -hmm. he still killed her in the end. Mm -hmm. And it was very quick. I don't know. It felt very sudden and like out of nowhere to me. So to me, this, this ending 
is born from his conversation with Claiborne. He has not made this decision until he hears that Claiborne didn't know about it and that it exists, that this possibility of going back and like getting people murdered that were doing the murdering for you exists, which again, I don't know why he doesn't know this to begin with, but like, I think he's saying to himself, my girlfriend needs me more than I need to be doing this. But still, I mean, if you're going to have empathy for somebody, why not the taxi driver? He literally had nothing to do with this other than unknowingly picked up a cab fare. Right. But that is at the beginning. This whole Mm -hmm. thing is a, this whole thing takes us along this realization that maybe Mm -hmm. empathy isn't bad, you know? Yeah. I don't don't think- I still feel like it was like, wait, what? Yeah, okay. I don't. I don't think we get enough build up to it, and I don't think there's enough like seeds along the way showing us him turning t- more towards empathy mm-hmm. to finally just forgive Claiborne. Now, of course, Claiborne had nothing to do with it, other than hiring, other than going to the lawyer and saying, "I want a hit." He didn't even pick the killer; he just paid for a killer. So he has nothing to do with it, other than picking someone that he wanted dead, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which I mean. I, Obviously, bad enough in itself, but what I'm saying within the confines of this world that we're working in here or, or, or observing here, Claiborne doesn't deserve to die for something that the lawyer had set up, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. My big problem is, why doesn't the killer know about it and we don't have enough proof that he's changing as that he's got is having a change of heart throughout this whole thing i think the fact that he is so unemotionally attached to anything along the way serves this story poorly you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and i don't know if that's necessarily michael fassbender's performance or if that's the way that david fincher wanted it but i think that it definitely does not, it does a disservice. Mm-hmm. If, if we're meant to believe that he's had turned over New Leaf, then we need to see why or how he got there. And we right. didn't get to see that. So. Right. Yep. All right. So after he lets Claiborne live, he goes back to in the, what is this? They call it the epilogue, right? Is it the epilogue where he goes back to the Dominican Republic? I think so. Yeah. He goes back to the Dominican Republic and we get a voiceover talking about how, you know, I can't even remember what the hell he was saying. But he basically is retiring. He goes back. He's hanging out with his girlfriend, brings her tea, Mm -hmm. and that's that. Except for. Except for. We get a close-up on his face, and there's a little twitch in his cheek. Right, which we've never seen before. Right, right. right. So I wonder if he's feeling a little antsy. Well, I will say this. If it was a comic book series, it probably started with this first arc. And mm-hmm. then he probably is going to get back into it eventually, right? right. So right. something will pull him back yeah, in. Something will end up pulling him back in. So we might get a killer, a killer two, which fine. But I think, well, we can get to that. Do you have any other notes or anything that you wanted to go over? I got a couple things. What do you got? One is the aliases that the killer uses. Oh, yeah. So we These get were to great. we get to see. A lot of his passports and people talking about the name and, you know, calling him the name or whatever. So right. I want to go through credit all cards. So you get credit yeah. cards and, and, and passports. And this is the way we're seeing them all, like the, as a, like plane tickets, stuff like that. That's how we get to see all of these mm-hmm. or hear them all. So, all right. So the first one is Felix Unger. He's from The Odd, the Odd Couple. Couple. Love, you know what? Quiz me on these. I want to know if, I've, if I got them all because I think okay. I got them all. So, okay. Yeah. Felix Unger is from The Odd Couple. He's the neat and tidy one, which I thought was. That was his. That was his alias because he's so methodical about everything. <laughs> Turns out it's not. It's just a bunch it's of just, names. Just so. a name. Archibald Bunker. Archie Bunker is from All in the Family. All in the Family. Yep. Oscar Madison. Oscar Madison is the other side of the Odd Couple, the one that's sloppy. Which is when at that point is when I knew I was like, okay, this is not going. There's nothing specific <laughs> about these. It's just using names. Right. Howard Cunningham. That is from Happy Days. Yep. Right. Reuben Kincaid. Oh, WKRP in Cincinnati? Nope, The Partridge Family. The Partridge Family. I knew it was one of those 70s shows. Okay, what else we got? Lou Grant from Lou Grant. Lou Grant. Yeah, I guess there's a show called Lou Grant. Oh, never heard of that one. Sam Malone. Sam Malone is from Cheers. That's George the... Jefferson. George Jefferson's from the Jeffersons and from 
All in the family. Yep. And Robert Hartley. Robert Hartley is one of the guys from is the is the husband from Heart to Heart, isn't he? The Bob Newhart. The Bob show. Newhart show. Who's the? Okay, so I had that way off. I thought it was. Do you remember that show, Heart to Heart? It was a no. husband wife like detective agency, and they called them. It was the Heart Detective Agency, and they were. It was always like they always ended with them like on some romantic getaway after mm. they just like solved the mystery or whatever. <laughs> it was weird, and I I thought Aww, it was funny. You but... mean they finish a job and they can go on vacation? Wouldn't that be <laughs> a nice job to have? Well, I think we should maybe look into that honestly. So, yeah. All right, and then I have one alternate casting. Okay. So there was somebody that was considered for the killer oh. before Fastbender. Okay. I will give you one guess as to who it might be. Brad Pitt? Brad Pitt, yep. Brad Pitt turned it down. He said it was a little too nihilistic for him. From the guy that did Fight Club? Yeah, exactly. That's why I said that seems like a weird comment from movies he's done before, but Twelve maybe monkeys. maybe he's gotten to a point in his life where maybe that's not what he wants to do. Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, you could look at it. World War Z had like that little uptick of hope at the end. Maybe he's just not feeling as dour as he was in the 90s. Who <laughs> yeah, knows? I don't know. I but, don't know. Uh, but. So, and, I, and of course, I think Brad Pitt because... David Fincher would want to, I mean, he's already having a reunion with Andrew Mm -hmm. David Walker who wrote Seven. Why not bring Brad Pitt in, right? Right, right. Then you could make the lawyer Morgan Freeman. That's why, that's why I said, I will give you one guess (laughs) because I figured you'd get it. Yeah. It's definitely Brad Pitt. So, okay. (laughs) All right. That's it. That's all you got? That's all I got. All right. Let's do our thing. Keep renter a race. Jennifer, tell me why. All right. So this movie's boring to me. It's very boring. (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. If this is nothing against the people acting in the movie. I thought the acting was just fine. I think the story is probably fine. It just, it's, um, I don't know. I I was losing <laughs> interest really fast in this. I mean, probably eight minutes in, I'm like, oh my God, what did I pick? This is awful. <laughs> all on you too. So. I know, I know. This is going to be in a race for me because Ooh. I don't care to ever see this movie again. It was very boring to me. Now, what? I am coming from the perspective that I can understand where people might really enjoy this. Okay. People who like that slow, talky, you know, buildup of a story with not a lot happening. I understand that people like that and they will probably really enjoy this movie and that's okay. But I'm supposed to rate this off what I think personally. Absolutely. I personally don't care to ever see this movie again and it was because it was boring. I I don't want to do that to myself again. (laughs) Just don't want to do it. Okay. I if I if if I if you're watching it sometime, that's fine. I will probably watch something on my phone or do a puzzle or something. I I have no desire to see this again. Okay. How about you? Uh okay, so your assessment is fair. Absolutely. One hundred percent. I get it. Slow, boring, methodical for you. For me, this reeks of seventies cinema and we all know how I love 70s cinema this is dark it is like you like brad pitt called it nihilistic it is a throwback to my kind of movie i enjoyed this movie but it definitely has problems so i'm gonna i'm gonna rate this like a high rent like this is a definite rent for for me it's it's not it's not middle of the road it's not a keep because i think there's some stuff missing here don't understand why the killer, as methodical and 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 calculating as he is, does not know that there is a recursive loop in case something goes awry. Mm-hmm. He talks to other people who know that something goes awry, or even if something doesn't go awry, something's always going to come for you. He should have been expecting this. Mm-hmm. He should have known that this was going to happen, but he doesn't. I think that's a huge flaw in this. I also think the other big thing is if he is willing to turn to empathy at the end, I don't mind him, you know, offing people that he should have had more empathy for. But what I do mind is this is a two hour movie that spends a lot of time giving us introspect, but doesn't tell us why he's changing his mind. Mm -hmm. It doesn't tell us why he is 
making these decisions. Is this some sort of like commentary about like how random violence is? Is is the killer meant to represent violence and how it can be random and not specific? And sometimes other people will be spared while people while people that you think should have been spared wouldn't be spared. Maybe, but we don't get that feeling even throughout the entire mm-hmm. movie. We get the feeling that we're headed towards something. And when we get there, it doesn't make sense why we were there. I, I get that they, they opened that, that possibility up with this empathy thing for Dolores. But by the time we get to Clyburn at the end, it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense why he would spare this man mm-hmm. at all. I agree. So, yeah. So High Rent in the echelon of David Fincher movies, this is definitely not his best. I could name you at least three others that you should see before this. I won't do that here because maybe we'll do a David Fincher thing at mm-hmm. some point. And, and I'd like to save that for later. So just in case. But <laughs> yeah, so High Rent for me. Not as much of a disappointment for me as for you, because I really just, I relished the the feel of that 70s cinema. Like that first 17 minutes while you were like, God, this is boring. I was like, holy fuck, this is great. I was sitting there thinking the whole time, like, oh, he's eating us up, isn't he? <laughs> I w- yeah, I was in there. I was watching like everything as it's going on, like all the stuff that's on the screen. I loved, loved, loved that when you were looking at it from his perspective, like when you're looking out, across the, the the rue or whatever it is in, in Paris and you're looking at the apartment and he's got music playing in his ear, you hear it from his perspective. It's not just the visual style of it. I love the way this movie is constructed, but I don't appreciate the story as much. So, mm. yeah. yeah. Anyway, enough blathering from me. What are we doing next? What's next week? All right, next week we're going to cover a 2018 film called Hearts Beat Loud that stars Nick Offerman. Oh, yeah. Okay. I remember seeing something about this while reading something from Nick Offerman or reading a thing about him and not seeing anything else about it ever again and then completely forgetting about it. Mm-hmm. So hopefully it's good. It's not a... Is it a Netflix movie? Or was it like theatrically no, released? or um... One of those direct-to-video movies? I, I honestly don't know. I, I, I don't know. It well, came out in 2018, so it's five years ago. I mean, so. irrelevant, I guess, but whatever. <laughs> so I'm always up for a good Nick Offerman flick, so let's do it. Let's have fun. We'll do that next week right here on the couch, Nick Offerman and Hearts Beat Loud. Thanks for listening, everyone. You've been listening to A View from the Couch, a Space Moose Media podcast. You can interact with our hosts on Twitter by going to twitter.com forward slash view underscore couch. You can also email us at a view from the couch at yahoo.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please help us get noticed by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Thanks for listening.